Hi, I'm Steven Schinder. And I'm Dan Schinder. Welcome to the Yes Shift podcast, where we talk about, wait, what do we talk about again? The band Yes. And there's so much to talk about with their many shifts in lineups and the mental, emotional, and spiritual shift their music can evoke. Since 1968, as of the inception of this podcast, May 2021, Yes has published a ton of studio albums, live albums, compilation albums, singles, and videos, all of which cover a very wide arcing spectrum of progressive rock. And we represent two generations of hardcore Yes fans. You may not agree with all of our tastes. Or any. The same way we don't always agree with a lot of the silly stuff so-called Yes fans post about on social. (laughs) And that's okay. With a history like Yes, having spanned so much music and time, there are always going to be different perspectives. And we are here to share ours, comment on things we see online, and invite you to be part of it as well. Yeah, we welcome your comments on posts of these episodes on social, as well as reviews on our podcasting platforms. You can also send comments and suggestions for topics to yesshiftpodcast at gmail.com. That's spelled with two S's, just like yes songs and yes shows. And we are here on Yes Shift with a really celebratory episode. 50 yeah. years of fragile. Can you believe that, Steve? I know. It's unbelievable. It's um, been out your whole life. <laughs> yeah. Um, like, just to be clear, I'm not 50 years old. I'm right. 27. But, <laughs> but yeah, uh, this episode will mainly focus on fragile. We'll, we'll touch upon other things like 90125 toward the end because the 38th anniversary of that uh passed on november 7th as well as a couple other things i'm sure we'll touch upon and uh you know i I, thinking about those two albums i noticed a few parallels between them but yeah first and foremost we're talking about fragile for this huge milestone i mean like half a century that's i mean for an album titled fragile it's held up pretty well (laughs) pretty durable yeah um so yeah okay so sometimes i get your stories and like the order of how you got through all this mixed up dad so remind me again was fragile the first yes album or like one of the first that you got into like it came out november 26 1971 in the uk and january 72 in the u.s so like where was that for you so it was actually the first album I ever heard. I had heard Roundabout and probably Long Distance Runaround on the radio. So I was um, eight when it came out. Is that right? Yeah, I was eight when it came out. And but when I was like 10 or 11 um, is when I was at my cousin's house uh, for a vacation who's older than me. And um, I might have even been a little older, but that's when I saw and held the album and he put it on and we listened to the whole thing. And uh, David was a keyboard player um, and started out as a drummer. In fact, he's one of the big reasons I started playing drums because I see him play drums, Mm -hmm. him and jump on him. And 
I remember even being that young and I started playing when I was seven. So I listened to a lot of music, a lot of music. And there was clearly something different about this album and clearly something different about Bill Bruford's drumming and just the way his drums, particularly the snare drum was tuned and just the album was just so good. And I loved the booklet, the artwork, the booklet that came with it and seeing their pictures and reading about them. I've always loved that stuff. I was the kid that, well, and the adult that ate cereal and read every fucking thing on every panel of the cereal box, all the ingredients. I mean, that's how I got good at pronouncing big words, was reading riboflavin and thiamine and, you know, all, all the different things. <laughs> um, and it was uh, an instant love with, with the band. It really, really was. And so that was my first introduction to Yes, even though by then Close to the Edge had come out. And, and it probably is better that I heard Fragile first, because I don't know if I ever would have come down from the acid trip that close to the edges <laughs> had I heard that first. <laughs> I don't know if I have to begin with anyways, but yeah. So that that's my, my story. How about you? How old were you when you heard it? And what order of albums that you heard was it? I, I don't remember. Yeah. So I'm sure I'm the one that turned you on to it, but I just have no context of that. Right. So like we've mentioned uh, prior, like, you know, as a little kid, I would watch the 9012 Live movie and the Yes Years documentary a lot. And then like at some point, um, you know, you had the cassette tape with some of the talk tour stuff. And um, in the early 2000s is when I found a CD that had the keys to ascension one stuff on it most of it anyway it's called extended versions and then got the compilation highlights from the very best of yes um i think that's what it was called and that included the studio version of roundabout and it was it felt very like it was quite different hearing the studio version after hearing some of those live versions and of course 2003 and 2004 is when the expanded and remastered versions of every yes album from their first one to 90125 were coming out and i got them like not in chronological order like i've said like i think you gave me relayer and going for the one and i sort of worked from there so fragile was a few albums after that um probably sometime in the mid uh 2000s maybe even like 2007 at the latest maybe so so then if you heard that other stuff first well which you did when you heard roundabout and folks give us the answers for you for the same questions what was your first impression when you heard it where is it in the order of hearing yes albums you know answer this stuff too in the comments so, Steve, when you heard Fragile, being that you heard the other stuff first, did it feel like you were going back in time? Did it feel outdated in any way? Or ha had you never known the order of stuff, would it have mattered? You know what I mean? Like, I'm, 
I'm not sure if I understand the question, but <laughs> did it did it feel like oh this sounds like old like it's older, or if you didn't guess, know when it came out, would you not have like thought that or known that? I I think maybe I would have known it was older. Like I feel like there are some yes albums where you can listen to them and be like oh, okay this is probably from around this time. Like if you know like the basic story of how stuff sounds like around that time that's um, true th there are like albums here and there that might be difficult to pinpoint if you don't already know the year like uh i remember a few years ago i played tales from topographic oceans for uh like on a car's uh, a car <laughs> in a friend's car and i I asked him to guess what year it was from after he'd heard a good chunk of it. And he was like, well, it sounds to me like it's from 2002. And I'm like, it's from 1973 and remastered in 2003. And he's like, whoa. <laughs> so that's funny. What was your impressions when, when you heard the whole album? I, I'd probably heard, like I definitely heard live versions of some of the songs before. Right. And it's possible I may have heard some of the less familiar songs in isolation, but listening to it from beginning to end, you know, I'd, I feel like I'd probably already looked up what the track order was. And so listening to it the first time was basically like, okay, this is how it sounds from beginning to end. And I sort of internalized that whenever... I listen to a new or a, a yes album that's like new to me, like a, a newly collected one. And it's right. like, yeah, yeah, I can imagine like play it from beginning to end in my head if I want to. So, yeah. Yeah. And this is uh, such a landmark and pivotal album in so many ways. We'll, we'll touch on those different points from our perspectives as we go through this. And, and folks, again, do the same. So it's the first album to feature their new keyboardist, Rick Wakeman, and uh, who had been working with David Bowie and a lot of other session work and as well. Strobs. Yep, Strobs. Um, and the first appearance of artwork for Yes by Roger Dean. Um, so yeah, like he did the artwork for this and then they never worked with him again. Uh, no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> He's done the majority of their album covers probably. You know, I think, I think this for me anyways, I'm curious what other people think and what you think. And it's, it's almost hard to not be biased being a right. yes fan but I think this might be the first album where the artwork truly embodied the band's persona and the sound of the album and all of that. Like there's been a lot of amazing album covers by Roger as well, but by hypnosis and so many other artists and photographers and, and graphics companies. But, but this might've been the first one that really, was part of that package. It's like his artwork is part of the sound. It made it a, a cohesive experience, if you will. Um, I hope that makes sense. Does that make sense? Um, I mean, it sounds somewhat like a coherent statement. Maybe it's a little bit fragile, kind of <laughs> falling apart, but, <laughs> but no, I, I totally get what you mean. Like it feels like it embodies that sound like, 
And then it you, continued. If, yeah, I mean, it fits the title. Like, you you know, you have a planet that looks kind of like Earth, but also not. And, like, on the back, you see that a bit of it is breaking. So, um, and that kind of falls in line with it being a groundbreaking album, you know? like you Oh, got- <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. And, and I wonder if the theme of Roger Dean's islands are supposed to be the pieces of that planet that have traveled through time with other artwork for yes. Oh yeah. It's I'm pretty sure it's been confirmed that the artwork for yes songs continues this narrative. Um, I will say that the, well, if, if I may, I'd like to talk about the logo real quick. Yeah. Like the logo it, so, you know, it's the logo looks like that, fragile, yeah. and yes, it's it kind of doesn't really stand out as much as I'd like it to. I think because it's transparent on the inside of the letters. It's just an outline, yeah. Yeah, like maybe if there'd been a full color that was different from this night sky or outer space or whatever, it would have stood out more. Like this was before we got the bubble logo that we saw in Close to the Edge onward. Um, yeah. I do like the shape of the letters. Like you could see that Roger was doing the loopy stuff and yeah. Yeah. So, um, and of course he got like the glider and, you know, that's very, you know, it, it has to have influenced John Anderson with Elias of Sun Hill, right? Like there's no way it couldn't have with like the story that it tells right. migrating aliens and stuff. Yeah, absolutely. Cool. So, Let's go through the tracks. Yeah. Um, we'll kind of blow through this, folks. We won't spend too much time on each one. But uh, as a whole, well, let's talk about as a whole after after we go through all the tracks, I suppose. Um, right. Starting with Roundabout, um, which yeah, is... One of Yes's most obscure tracks. <laughs> <laughs> I was going to say exactly the opposite, of course, that <laughs> that it's it's really what put Yes on the radio forever, I think. I mean, you've got all good people, your move and all good people, but that's so much more of a folk song, if you will, with that goes into a Chuck Berry thing, you know, yeah. sort of a deal, uh, which is like, you know, almost a 12 bar blues sort of structure slash knockoff. Um, but roundabout is, is truly their first, I think like signature song that identified them from that point forward. Um, and you've got that, that beautiful intro, um, you've got the backwards, you know, sound in there, and then you've got wonderful, uh, the strumming of the acoustic and and Rick uh, um, Chris's signature Rickenbacker sound with the weird EQ and and just the tight drums. It's just so like what the hell is this? You know, you yeah. you have to listen to it. It's so grabbing. You know, and and then of course the amazing first song with the first album with Rick Wakeman and here's this awesome organ solo, you know, after that interlude, it's just a fantastic piece of music. It really is. Yeah. Like 
And again, this is the lineup of John Anderson, Chris Squire, Steve Howe, Rick Wakeman, and Bill Bruford. And like, this is some people's favorite yes lineup. And I mean, they put out this and then close to the edge and they really show their talent off on this. Yeah. Uh, um, when it comes to live versions of Roundabout, you know, it's one of those songs that's so overplayed that I would be totally fine if it were removed from the set list to make room for something they don't play as much. It's funny because that's how I told you I always feel about your removed and all good people. Yeah, like- I, I feel the same way about that too and Owner of a Lonely Heart. Um, but I will say that if they, whenever they do have to play Roundabout, I prefer that they play the entire song yeah, um, I agree. Don't cut yeah. out that center uh, instrumental section. Yeah, like I agree. I, I remember um, when, you know, one time I visited you, like, this must have been like 12, 13 years ago or something. Like, I got the DVD of 9012 Live that included the uh, the filmed version of Roundabout that wasn't on the original VHS and when it skipped over the middle part, I remember you were in the other room listening while working. You're like, lame. <laughs> <laughs> I know it is lame, and I'd rather not hear any of the song than just part of it. It's not should not be part of a medley and it shouldn't be edited. Period. End of discussion. No argument worthy. <laughs> I will say though that it was very creative that for the 35th anniversary tour. They, you know, they played a shortened version, but since it was acoustic and bluesy, it was more yeah. forgivable, you know? That's, that's true. That was neat for them to do. And maybe it was for people like you who could have done without <laughs> it to begin with. Just do the whole different Chicago blues shuffle, as Chris put it, that he uh, asked Rick to do. And it works. It's beautiful. It works. Yeah, totally. And um, yeah, and then next we have Cans and Brahms. And, you know, Rick Wakeman, he was signed on with A&M Records at this time. And contractually, he was not able to incorporate an original composition on this. So he ended up having to, like, adapt and cover something. So uh, that's why we got Cans and Brahms. So what do you think of this song? I like it. Brahms, by the way, is probably one of my top two classical composers, actually, him and Tchaikovsky. Um, so it's cool. And that that's another thing about this album is that everyone gets a song, basically. Yeah, like you got four group songs and five solo tracks that basically showcase what each one can do. Um, yeah. Yeah, like it's definitely a nice sounding song. It sounds very classical. I do kind of wonder what Rick would have done if he'd been allowed to make something original. Like perhaps pick, we could... pick anything on any solo album from this point forward, <laughs> and that answers your question. He would have yeah, done one of Yeah, I was just going to say perhaps it would have been something that eventually ended up on Six Wives of Henry VIII, which he did after this. Yeah. Yeah, who knows? He might have had that like in his head already and or had it all ready to go. You know, who knows? Um, I do think that that song comes a little early in the album, though. Oh, you think so? I do. I think 
I think roundabout is so big that it goes, ah, and then it's a breath too soon. It's, you know what I mean? Right. I, I think so, that's just my personal thing. So like, what do you think would have been better out of these tracks to put after roundabout to like keep the momentum going? South side of the sky. Okay. Or long distance run around. Okay. Or harder the sunrise. <laughs> but harder the sunrise works is the last song because you know how I am with last songs on an album. Go out big. Yeah, it has Go to out big. Not with Holy Lamb. Not with uh, what's the song you know that I always get mad about on uh, magnification. <laughs> time is time. <laughs> yeah, time. Yeah, what a way to. It's like come on, you know. Sorry, folks. I just I like uh, albums that end big. You know. Right, that's fair. Okay. What about you? What are you happy with the order that it appears? Um, I know I'm, that's such a picky thing to even <laughs> discuss, but I'm very used to the order, so it's kind of hard for me to visualize like the tracks in a different order. I get for, that for for this particular album. Like for me, it's easier with other albums, but yeah. Um, I will sort of go into something later on that, like. And that's kind of like, what if they'd done this type of thing? But for now, let's just keep going through the tracks. Okay. Um, we Have Heaven is really a neat composition. And before We Have Heaven, I don't think there was really anything out there like this that I can think of up to this point by Yes or anybody else. You know, it's a very, very unique composition where the voices are everything. You know, yeah, John um, was basically the entire choir of the song. Yeah, yeah, it's a really neat piece. Uh, there's, there's sort of a enchantment slash tribal aspect to it, I think, if you will, if I can use those words. I know that's kind of almost a stereotypical word, tribal, but I think everyone kind of knows what I mean. Yeah, I get what you mean about like the chanting aspect. Like, yeah. you know, you get the repeated and the rhythms. Tell the moon, Doctor. Like, it sounds like John chanting out some sort of ritual. Yeah. Um, and, and it's, you know, this is like the beginning of what he would do later with Elias of Sun Hill with all the voices like everywhere. Like, this right. is kind of the seed of that. That's true. It, it I think, was a. Uh... I think he, he really learned what he could do with his voice and the recording studio with layering things and, you know, all of that, um, all, carrying all the way to the ladder. What, what's the piece? You made a great comparison to this. I'm oh, sorry. yeah. Like the, like the song, Can I, um, it, it has some of those words. Like they, he sings, we have heaven on there. So it's basically like, yeah, and uh, the elements the are similar. Down. Yeah. Yeah. Um, cool. What are your thoughts on that song overall? I It's really good, and I associate the footsteps. Part, okay, so, like, the first time I ever heard this song that I recall is in the end credits of the Yes Years documentary. And so, like, once the foot, the door slams and the footsteps go, and, that's and when I'm you know sorry. the whole thing's over. Uh, I'm giggling, everybody, because Steve was like, maybe two, three, 
And, you know, some kids, like one of my granddaughters went through a phase where she had to watch the movie Frozen like 50 times a day. <laughs> um, Steve's older brother, Alex, watched 101 Dalmatians and or Fantasia 50 times a day. Steve watched what uh, Yes Years 50 times a day from the time. And when the door slammed and there were the footsteps, Steve would run out of the room to do the part of the footsteps or yeah. ran in a circle. Do you yeah, remember that? The, yeah, I think the footsteps were also kind of scary sounding. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, I, I agree. <laughs> yeah. Um, and well, just to like skip ahead real quick, we also get like a reprise of We Have Heaven at the very end, like after Heart of the Sunrise. And it's, yeah. uh, I like that. Um, when Yes played the entire Fragile album live, Back in 2014, they were pretty faithful to the original compositions, but the only thing that was missing was they didn't include that reprise of We Have Heaven, like, after Heart of the Sunrise. So, Mm. like, that's pretty much the only thing I felt. I wonder why. I wonder if they forgot about it. (laughs) Maybe. I I mean, there have been, like, some repressings of this album where, like, they forget to put it on there in error and have to, like, go back and, yeah, so. Oh, wow crazy yeah but i feel like that goes pretty well into south side of the sky you know like you got heaven and then sky like that stays like up there if that yeah. makes sense you got like the wind blowing like what do you right. think of south side of the sky i love that song i love everything about it uh the the sound of it the lyrics the music the voices i love that song that's and I was so happy to see that on the 35th and, or on the, um, was yeah, it they, the 35th? Was it that one? Uh, yeah, they played it there. But God, my memory is just, people are going to think you're really a Yes fan. My memory is just out to lunch today. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. So they considered bringing it into the set list for the San Luis Obispo shows um, as well as the song Adventure. But I guess they didn't feel like they nailed it so uh it wasn't until like 2002 that they finally nailed it and like played the whole song because i I know that they played it a few times on the fragile tour and relayer tour but they were like abridged versions and so like to bring them out for or to bring the song out for like 2002 onward like and play in full it's like they just did such a great job. And instead of the fade out ending, you have the duel between the keyboard and guitar. Like he, it keeps yeah. going on. And it's weird because, you know, at, at the time, like in the 2000s, South Side of the Sky, I hadn't heard as many times as, say, Roundabout or Heart of the Sunrise. So for a time, it was my favorite song off of Fragile, but now it's been played on so many tours. Um, within the past couple of decades that's like it, it's kind of lost its obscurity and it's like interesting kind of huh. shifted yeah <laughs> that's interesting uh five percent and nothing yeah five percent for nothing for nothing it's just, yeah. it's just like half a minute long and it's it, it's weird right it's just yeah like get in get out yeah uh, do, do you know what the working title for this song was? I don't. Do you? Yeah. So 
Um, and listeners, you can try guessing if you know it, like pause it and see if you're right. Um, so the working title for it was Suddenly It's Wednesday. And huh. and do you know the meaning behind the title? It became 5% I nothing? actually don't, no. So it's a reference to, I think specifically their previous manager, Roy Flynn, who had like, you know, contractually, he was able to get 5% of what yes we're making. And so that's why you get the 5% for nothing. It's kind of like a little joke. <laughs> oh, interesting. 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 Yeah, that's a quirky, weird tune, if we could even call it that. I, yeah, I wonder, yeah. like, was it so? I think you answered the question. I was going to say, did it start out as a studio sound check or something? Um, I'm not sure if it did. I think Bill was probably just, you know, experimenting around, seeing what comes out. It sounds really weird on the live version, like like I said, when they played all Fragile Live several years ago. But, I mean, it is what it is. It's yeah. just... Um, yeah, and, um, you know, jumping ahead to one of the fan comments we got christopher russell said it's fun to listen to five percent for nothing with circus of heaven at the same time yeah like what's that all about <laughs> i can't yeah, well, even imagine that i think that would hurt yeah i tried that earlier and they're so different from each other that having them play at the same time is just chaos to me <laughs> i'd like to know what you mean christopher that's hilarious um, then next we have another, you know, probably just as iconic as Roundabout, even though it didn't get as much radio play, but certainly a lot, is Long Distance Runaround. That's a signature song that really identifies Yaps and this era and has also endured through the decades. Yeah, it's kind of simple, but it has some nice stuff to it. Uh, do you do you have a favorite live version of Long Distance Runaround? I do. I think that ah, people are going to... I think it's... Um, so I do like the acoustic version that they did on Songs from Songas. I do like that. But, you know, one of my favorite versions is from the Open Your Eyes tour, believe it or not, um, be, because it's punchy. Um, I like okay. that a lot. Um, and I also like how they burst into it from the medley on the Tormato tour. Yeah, like it had that nice transition from time and a word into yeah. it. It worked pretty well. Yeah. Um, and what about you? My favorite is the acoustic version from the Relayer tour. Oh, that's right. I forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. You're all know. playing guitars. Yeah. It's like, Long distance run around. And they're just strumming along. Chris is on guitar as well. Yeah. yeah. And it kind of segues into Patrick Mraz's keyboard solo. Like, it's a but really nice version. I, think. I, I like that, but it's like an abridged version, like the edited roundabout. It's like we didn't quite get it, get the song, but it is a. That might be the first time they reworked one of their own songs live, right? Um, Possible. Well, maybe one of the earliest versions. Um, 
Actually, there might be some examples I'm just forgetting. I mean, like I said, they played a bridge version of South Side of the Sky as well. That's true, yeah. Um, mm. But I don't know. Like, it doesn't feel lacking to me. Um, okay. Like, I know people are so used to it segueing into the fish. But with that acoustic version, I, I don't, like, really miss that Right. And and even when ABWH played it, you know, they found a really creative way to like work around not using the fish. You know, it would escalate and John would like repeat two one hundred a few times and then it yeah. would go into Bill Bruford's drum solo, which is from Heart of the Sunrise, you know. Right. And it's just like super hype the way they did that on that tour. Yeah, that's true. That is cool. And and then it does it goes into the fish, which is Chris Squire's um, signature song. Um, what can you say about that? It's just <laughs> a masterpiece, yeah. you know. And for a bass player to have a feature song like that, it is so cool. And then there's overdubs as well, you know, which is cool. There's like Shine three or four, you know, wah wah pedal on the bass. Yeah, and the name of the fish. Yeah. Latin, yeah, yeah, like, um, and, and I, we've talked about this on the live, um, thing that you did on Drum Talk TV, where you, recently you played a few fragile songs. You know, Chris Squire's nickname comes from you know, he's called Fish because he would take a long time in the bathroom and even like over flooded like the apartment at one point like bill yeah that's like talked about that in, in and, showers and not from the toilet steve doesn't mean but right right yeah, literally the bath, from the bathtub, the bathtub. Yeah. yeah and it's also fitting because and i don't know if this is part of it or it's just coincidence but he's also a pisces and he plays bass which is the same spelling as bass so it just all really fits and i love that he like and he likes cheese balls oh just kidding <laughs> And I like that he ran with this, um, you know, titling his first solo album "Fish Out of Water." And, yeah, yeah, you know, that came out uh, November seventh, nineteen seventy-five. So, like, a, a little recent anniversary as well. And it's just, you know, the fish was the tip of the iceberg, and "Fish Out of Water" showed, like, you know, Chris he he does so well in the vocal harmonies, but to have stuff like that where he can sing lead. And where yeah. he even has an orchestra behind him. It's just so satisfying to hear. Like, it's such a solid solo effort. And you're right. And, you know, I've mentioned this. I've always loved when there's a Yes album that features a song with Chris singing lead. Uh, Fly From Here and also Magnification uh, both have those. Um He's real prominent in one of the songs on the ladder as well. And on the song, Open Your Eyes, even though it's not like his song that he's singing lead on. But but yeah, it's we're, we're by the way, folks, we are going to do a mini series and pick a solo album or the first solo album of each artist that is the first solo album since being with Yes, if that makes sense. So, for instance, for Rick Wakeman, we won't cover one that was before Yes, only since he had played in Yes. And there's a reason we're doing it that way. We'll explain when we do the series. But that's that's going to be fun. And certainly we'll, that'll be our chance to dive into Fish Out of Water. 
Yeah, um, like, like that's something that it'll be like an ongoing thing. Like, I feel like there will probably be other episodes in between then. So, you know, we have variety. Yeah. Um, But if you really think about it, we kind of already started that series by recently covering Tony K's End of Innocence. Which that's true. Technically his first solo album. That's true. Wow. Yeah. That's crazy to think that. He had done movie soundtracks and jingles and stuff, but yeah. Yeah, and yeah, he'd worked with other bands outside of Yes, but yeah, that was his that's his only solo album that he's put out. Interesting. So one down, some more to go. <laughs> yeah. And it took him 20 years to put that one out. Right. So that's interesting too. Next we get Mood for a Day, a beautiful piece by Steve Howe. Um, I personally love Steve Howe's isolated solos during a concert. Um, that's always a real treat because he truly is a magnificent musician. And of course, guitar player, one of the absolute best in the world of any genre. He's just so good. And to get anything like mood for a day from him is great. Um, yeah. And mood for a day is something he kind of had in his back pocket since the yes album. Really? Well, like in the expanded remastered uh, CD, there's a, one of the bonus tracks is the studio version of Clap, and it includes a bit of Mood for a Day in it. Oh, so, interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. So it's, yeah. So he was pretty much pretty prepared for this one, it seems. And it, it sounds really good. It's like Steve Howe has such a signature sound. Like you just listen to something like this. That it's like, Oh yeah, that's definitely Steve Howe. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Classical guitar, just beautiful. And then another landmark progressive rock song, heart of the sunrise. What a way to end the album, you know, with just a really big bang, really big bang. And that has all the classic elements of a yes epic, but it's just shorter. You know, you've got brevity, you've got madness, you've got uh, crazy time signature changes. <laughs> Back to the theme. I mean, it's just all over the place. And it also, this album, I think, is really where Steve Howe truly blossoms mm. through all these songs. It's really where Steve Howe and the band, of course, uh, and, and I wonder how much of that is with the addition of Rick Wakeman joining the band overall influenced everything just happening on a whole other level. Yeah. Sometimes I mean, one member can really change everything, you know? Yeah. Like heart of the sunrise was the first song that he rehearsed with the band. And, you know, he's told the story about how sure. he was, you know, David Bowie, offered him to like be part of his touring band and like he got that offer the same day he was asked to join yes and he went with yes because he felt like he'd have more creativity playing with them and i think bowie told him later that like he made the right choice and what do you think yeah. has it really worked out for him <laughs> well he's been on a bunch of yes albums that some of which a high he's majority of the fan base <laughs> considers classics and he's got like the biggest solo career out of all the yes members yeah um, and i don't know if you know this but he remained 
uh, very close to David Bowie until David's passing. And he was one of the yeah. very few who knew he was ill. He was that close to him. David was right. very secretive about that, but Rick Wakeman was that close to him where he knew. Yeah. I think they were even neighbors at some point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Um, but getting back to heart of the sunrise, it feels very much like yes's answer to King Crimson's 21st century schizoid man. Like it, I don't know if you remember that song, but yeah, it, gives those, it gives off those vibes to me. And, you know, you got Bill Bruford on it and he'd eventually join King Crimson. So yeah, it's, and I think in recent years, heart of the sunrise has become like, like it's, taken South Side of the Sky's place as my favorite Fragile Yes song. Oh, interesting. Yeah, like throughout the 2000s, I'd listened to so many live versions of Heart of the Sunrise that it sort of became whatever to me. But then when you took me to my first Yes concert uh, in 2009 when they were touring with Asia as their opener and they played Heart of the Sunrise, it was like, in that moment, I, I, it clicked with me. Like I finally got it. Like what, what's so amazing about this song. And you know, what's um, funny. <laughs> I've told this story before folks, but in case you haven't heard it, when Steve was a baby um, and it was much easier then, cause now you're like six feet tall, 180, <laughs> something like that. I used to rock him to sleep singing heart of the sunrise. Right. Um, so I don't know if somehow subliminally that stuck. And when you saw that, you know, who, who knows? But um, yeah, that was my song to rock you to sleep. And that is never happening again. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it just has a lot of punch in concert, like when you're actually there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, it's ferocious. And, but yet, the bass has, is amazing. Yeah, has a bass lead, and then the, at the brevity when it all calms down for a moment and builds back up, and then the grandiose ending. It, like I said, it has all the elements of an epic, and I think it is epic. I don't think an epic has to be a twenty-minute song. You know, this this is epic because of those elements. I think. Would you agree, or does epic have to be a certain length? I mean. I'm kind of contradicting our requirements for that epics episode. We still need to put out, but where yeah, we we've like, recorded it. We need to put it out, but we had certain guidelines that we like called epics. You like 15 minutes or more is what we went with for right. the sake of time. But right. But, but just because something's that long doesn't mean it's epic. And this was up to us. These were our rules, our game. Yeah. Well, like even if it's not, technically an epic per se it is epic like as an adjective i guess yeah I yeah say. absolutely great way to end the album as i've said i don't know how many times i i wouldn't you know suggest putting that anywhere else it's it's so powerful and this is one of those albums that begins and ends so strong you know yeah um so let's go through some fan comments. You read the one by Christopher Russell. I'll read this yeah. one by Jim Peacock. Jim says, fragile in some ways, um, the beginning of the glory days of Yes. The Yes album was a precursor to Fragile, but Fragile was the bridge to the best of Yes, close to the edge, tells some topographic oceans, real air, and going for the one were all set up by the Fragile album, in my opinion. I agree a thousand percent. 
Um, and going for the one, I do agree in including that because of Fragile having some shorter songs that were absolutely uh, powerful, you know, and, and left their mark for decades to go on, as has going for the one. So that's a really nice take. Yeah, I think lots of people consider, well, actually, the Yes album to going for the one as like the, you, you know, the the, I guess, main classic period of yes I, I guess you could say um like there was like a little bit of disagreement in the comments of like oh did it start with fragile or the yes album and for me it's like you know I, I like to take all the albums into account you know it's all the same evolution you know step by step but uh definitely some of the stuff that's on fragile like some of it i could kind of hear bits of heart of the sunrise in that time and a word song then but there are other bits of Fragile that weren't on those first three albums that they discovered while making this album. Right. So sense. I think the best way to put it, if I do say so myself, is that Fragile was the first biggest leap in their progression of what mm. they were doing. That's what I think. Yeah. There was a leap with Steve Howe first joining the band and you get Starship Trooper and whatnot, but Fragile's just a whole nother... <laughs> let's just skip a few levels and get to here. And that wasn't enough. So then they do close to the edge. You know, what do we follow that up with? I don't know. Double album, one song, each side, one long story. Let's do that. You know, it's like, where did it end? You know, has it ever ended? Many will say, of course it has, but you know, it's just, wow. I don't know if any band grew and expanded so vastly album to album by album. You know, yeah. And some people might say, no, that's all the same thing. <laughs> yeah. Like someone who's not as familiar with Yes and just listens to a few songs might be like, well, depending on the songs, I guess, might be like, oh, yeah, that's the same thing. But yeah, there, there are definitely some Yes songs that contrast starkly with each other. And like, sure, people would probably be like, there's no way this is the same band, you know? Right. So um, uh, go ahead and read the next one. Yeah, this next comment is from Michael Northrop. He says, groundbreaking to be sure. The album starts and ends with a bang. Roundabout opens and Heart of the Sunrise closes. In between are solo efforts by John, Chris, Bill, Steve, and Rick, which are all astounding. What a great template for an album, considering all members are virtuosos. The album holds up all these years later. It is still crisp and clean, masterfully recorded, it is a beautiful bridge from the Yes album to Close to the Edge. Yeah, I don't think there'd be a Close to the Edge without Fragile, you know, like you said and some of the other comments have said. Right. I, I don't know. I don't know. We'll never know. I'm just speculating, <laughs> which is nonsense. But I think you'll all know what I mean when I say, I don't know if there would be a Yes of 50 plus years without fragile. Yeah, I mean, I think it's safe to say that's the most commercially successful 70s yes album. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Like it went double platinum, I believe. Yeah. Interesting. Cool. Next, we have Bill McCarsky. I believe the fragile is quintessential yes album. It contains the DNA 
for what the band and individual members were to accomplish through the 70s. I agree. Yeah, that that's a great way to put that. Yeah. And this next one from Kevin Courtright, uh, who says first album by the best lineup, in my opinion. Um, and thanks for adding my opinion. <laughs> yeah, I was just gonna say I know that you don't like that word very much, Dad. So I was best. Just, yeah. yeah, when people say best, but in my opinion qualifies that. So that's awesome. Okay. Thanks, Kevin. Uh, so Kevin continues, the five musicians that made this album and Close to the Edge were perhaps the most remarkable collection of virtuoso musicians in one group in rock history. Though some don't care for the solo tracks, I love them. It works well for the album to have the group tracks augmented by the solo tracks, in my view. And the group tracks are some of the best they ever did, such as South Side of the Sky, Heart of the Sunrise, etc., and though radio success was simply not what the band was about, Roundabout gave them enough radio success to put the album near the top of the charts. Thus, it moved them forward considerably in overall success. The production is flawless, the performance is stunning, and it's the first Yes album to include Roger Dean artwork on the cover. Also, it included a great booklet in the original LP release. Just excellence all around. That's a great review. Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. Um, and, and I know this next uh, review, I know you're going to disagree with a bit of it, Dad, but I kind of want, I included it because I wanted to like sort okay. of play devil's advocate with something. So Sure. Let's see. I haven't read all this, folks. We do this uh, unrehearsed, as you could tell, I'm sure. Um, <laughs> Nick <laughs> Zales, and Steve puts all this together. I don't see it until we actually do the show. Nick Zales says it has three great songs all over seven minutes and a bunch of filler. <laughs> of course, yes, filler of that era is better than most music. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> Including anything yes has put out in the last 20 years. It does have what may be their best album cover art is Stepping Stone and Close to the Edge. I, I respect that because I understand that that's all opinion and that's that's fine it's great you can't argue with opinion um but right. there there's a lot of really valid stuff my favorite part is of course yes filler of that era is better than any of most better than most music that's that's a great take nick right. i don't take a lot of exception to this i don't consider the other stuff filler um i rather instead agree more with what kevin courtwright's take is that um it was an interesting way to put out an album with X amount of group songs and augment that with something that really sort of spotlights everybody with their own piece rather than trying to make them shine within a song, which they all do, of course. So that's just my personal take, but that's a valid take. Yeah, that's good. Right. Yeah. So um, I, I would say I disagree with the 20 years comment. I think there's been some great stuff. Yeah, I, I do. Years. Yeah. But that's his um, opinion. Right. But, but the reason, um, I want to kind of touch on the filler thing. Like, you know, filler means something different to different people. Yeah. Um, is that I want to kind of bring up that I think that fragile, you know, structurally, I can see how, you know, even, you know, I love the album, but I kind of think that structurally, it does feel a bit disjointed, you know, having the solo pieces in between the group pieces. Um, and th this kind of made me wonder, like, what if they had done an album that was just the group pieces? Like, 
And instead of like the solo pieces, like what if, you know, they they played America on the Yes album tour and then recorded a 10 minute version between Fragile and Close to the Edge. And so it's like, what do you think it would have been like to have Fragile if it were like, you know, side one, Roundabout, then America, and then side two, South Side of the Sky, maybe with or without Long Distance Runaround, and then Heart of the Sunrise. Like, do you think that would still be like a solid album, or do you think it would be kind of maybe lacking? Like, I know it's like a so silly I think if, I think part of the answer. Uh, let Let me just. I I know what I'm trying to say. Let me just um, formulate that for a second. It's important to answer that question in the context of if we look at it when it came out. It, right. It's not fair to answer it now, 50 years later in the context of now, because if we do, it, there's too much of a filter and a clouded filter of everything that's happened since then. Yeah, like too much hindsight. Yeah, yeah exactly. So if, if I can just imagine for a moment what that album would look and sound like back then with a new, technically a new lineup with Rick joining. I, even though Close to the Edge came out shortly after that with just three songs, I don't know if this would have been as mind blowing as Close to the Edge or held up the same way. I think that having those filler pieces as nick says i think having those solo pieces um again i agree with kevin that spotlighting their virtuosity helps form that album to what it is it's hard to answer i well like like the solos are definitely they have a charm to them that we're used to by now i guess yeah and and i don't know if it would have had the same impact 50 years later. I, and I'm trying not to use hindsight. It's a really interesting question. Um, what do you think? And, and you know what? There should be a version, two discs. One <laughs> disc is just the group songs and one disc is the filler, or the solo songs, <laughs> you, the feature songs, really. You know, that would be cool. Um, the same way that you can listen to uh, return to the center of the earth and either listen to all the narration or just all the music or both, which is really cool. It'd be neat if there was a way to do this with fragile, but what do you think? Right. So you touched on a couple things I'll come back to in a moment. Um, but in terms of like, if it had been without the solo pieces I, and like with America, you know, I know that yes, had kind of stopped putting cover songs on their albums by that point but if they had done that i think the album would still have been a hit if only for the fact that it has roundabout on it and you know that gave them the radio success and it would still have south side the sky and harvest sunrise so that's true stuff for the prog heads you know stuff to impress them so i don't know if it would have been more or less successful but i think it still would have been like very successful like maybe there would have been a slight difference somehow like like it's hard to say but i do think it still would have sounded like a solid album at that time um and and you're saying ditch long distance runner on altogether 
in that version well, of well, that I, universe? Well, I, I, I guess you could include that as well. It would just be okay. without the fish right after it. Right. So like it, yeah. Um, uh, so that's my thoughts on that. And you touched upon this idea of, I think you said like one album, do studio, or I guess one LP studio, one LP solos or something. Or... Yeah, uh, the group songs versus the features, solo feature songs, yeah. Okay, yeah, I was just going to say, I think Emerson, Lake, and Palmer kind of did something like that with Works Volume 1 and 2, right? Where it was like yeah. four sides for each each of those volumes and um each each of the members would have a side devoted to their own stuff and one side would be group stuff and i guess there's like mixed success with that yeah um but yeah it's kind of funny that you bring that up but it'd be cool um, to come as a double cd and they're just separated mm. so you can listen to all the solo stuff or listen to and the one that would be out of place if they did that would be the fish because we're so used to that segue of going from long distance yeah. or into the fish that that would be the one I think disconnect for most people. And it really, in a lot of ways also is sounds like it could be interpreted as such a group song because the whole band is just roaring through the whole thing, basically. Right. You know what I mean? And I mean, as opposed to like, we have heaven and of course, food for a day, cons and Brahms and 5%. For nothing. Yeah. And also another funny thing about this, like, um, you know, we talked about double albums earlier and something I learned today actually when researching is that uh, I guess this comes from a Dan Hedges Yes book, uh, according to Wikipedia. Uh, They considered, you know, when they were coming up with ideas for Fragile, they considered doing a double album so one lp would be studio stuff and another lp would be live stuff and according to this uh, yes fan site called relayer 35 uh, the yes scography website uh, this is run by uh, matt putzel and henry potts and of course henry potts has that news site bande gazoo so um they're somewhat reliable so uh, but somewhat so- what do you mean? No, uh, his site is very reliable. So okay. like when yeah. I see uh, this little bit of trivia here, I'm more likely to believe it, you know? Okay. Um, but so it says here that an early idea for the album had been a double LP, one studio, one live. And the live LP would have had america and it's love and both of those they performed on the yes album tour um and i don't know if you remember this like it was like 12 years ago or something like i i got this box set called the word is live which had like stuff from live yes concerts um back in the day and one of them was a 16 minute version of america uh you know they did it with tony k and it even had a lick of roundabout toward the end, which you pointed out to me. And I was like, oh, yeah, it's like, and um, I don't remember that. <laughs> yeah, so there's that, and it's love. What, wait, it, what year was it from? What the year with when Tony before Rick joined, or years yeah. later with Tony? Okay. Yeah, before Rick joined. Um, so there was that 16 minute version of America and an 11 minute cover of the young rascal song. It's love. And 
I can see America working, but it's love. Like, like I just re-listened to their version today. Like that one sounds to me like filler. Like it sounds like a really long jam improvisation and kind of would have been out of place with all this other stuff they ended up putting on fragile. So, and, and I, yeah. And I guess at that time they, uh, didn't have enough time and resources to do a double album yet. Um, at least so, not one studio on live. So they just went with a one LP. So do you think that at all came up in discussion when they did keys and John or Chris said, you remember back when we were doing fragile and we were going to, Oh you think, shoot. You're right. <laughs> right. Do you think that could have come up? Oh my gosh. Why didn't I think of this? Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah. And that was a weird thing that happened. Like we've talked about how it would have been better for the studio and the live stuff from keys to be separate at that time. Yeah, Cause otherwise they talk about it as the album that never came out. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I wonder if they even remembered, because it would have been the three of them, Steve, John, and Chris, well, and Rick, would have yeah. been part of that. So it'd be curious to me if none of them brought that up or remembered or made the comparison. Hey, we were going to do this 30 years ago or whatever, you know? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, that was just, like, really interesting to read up on. Um, and, and I have, wait, like, wait, a I got, I got to say, I'm sorry, I want to comment on that real quick. Yeah, I would have loved for that to have happened because some yes music that I am completely unfamiliar with is anything live with Bill Bruford. I don't mm. remember listening to this with you. Bring it on the trip. Bring it on the trip. Okay. And and I've <laughs> I've heard one bootleg that you found when I was doing something on Drum Talk TV to play to that has Bill playing on it, but the audio was was crap. It was not a soundboard recording and. So I don't even like remember how what was on that or anything, but that's something I'd love to see video of that lineup, whether with Kay or with Wakeman with Bill Bruford on drums. Um, yeah, yeah, there's like a 20 minute or half hour documentary that was like filmed during the oh. Fragile tour called Sounding Out. Um, it, it, it's on YouTube, I think it's easy to find okay because the only video i've seen is you know that black and white one that's in yes years oh yeah like some of the original lineup videos, yeah, yeah, yeah but i haven't seen any video of bill with rick that era okay yeah um actually i think i may have shown that to you i remember there's like Pro a, probably you know some sort I, of remember there's it. like some sort of like big cat in the background while john was being interviewed it's like whoa what was that <laughs> It's like I vaguely really remember that. Okay, I gotta check this stuff out. But bring yeah. <laughs> bring that on the trip. Yeah, like, I'll bring I'll bring the word is live on our trip. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um. Yeah, and I have a bit more of trivia, but first we'll okay. like go through these the rest of these comments. Okay. Um. Let's see. Marianne Pellegrini says about fragile, perfect. Helped everyone I know get through high school. Now I saw that comment on the post and you asked her to clarify you want to explain for everybody watching so, so i think what i responded with was like um like i was asking like was this around the time the album came out because i was curious about if it was like 
around when it came out or if it was maybe later in the 70s or something like yeah basically how new was the album when, when like, it helped them get through high school yeah the yeah. time context yeah and, and i think she like misunderstood what i was asking and was like thought maybe that i thought she knew people in high school like today or something listening to I, I don't know but like she clarified that it was like her and her friends when they were in high school and it's like right yeah. um but yeah and that's um something that's also kind of you know high school stuff is brought up in this next comment do you want to read that yeah bud staten staten i believe like me says this was his introduction this was my introduction to yes driving down a snowy road in the middle of the night with some high school buddies i'll never forget that night Buzzing along, snow looking like stars when the Enterprise warps off listening to the Enterprise Star Trek reference. Yeah. Listening to the finest set of musicians that I had ever heard then and to this day. South Side of the Sky reminds me of one of my favorite Yes pro- Remains one of my favorite Yes productions. Not just an important part of my life, but also my soul. I can relate. I can totally relate. Uh, to how yes, music is part of my soul. I know some people might think that's just totally cheesy or obsessive or fanatical, but I totally get it. I totally get it. Yeah, with, with certain albums, you know, they invoke memories of where we were when we listened to them, whether it be in a car or looking ahead to a next chapter in life. Um, yeah. And it, that's just the power of music. I mean, again, I know that sounds really cheesy, but it's true. It, it is true. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, and this last comment I have here from Michael Gill, who says, hearing this album truly changed the course of my creative life. It came out when I was at the impressionable age of 10 and opened up for me the world of non-mainstream music and art. So... Nice. Yeah, that's a lot of great stuff. Um, yeah, so- thanks for your comments, everyone. And feel free to always email us or comment on our posts. We always pull some of these out for our shows. We want you to be part of this. Yeah, definitely. So like I said, I have like a bit more trivia to mention, and then we'll get into like the 90125 comparison. Um so do you know what the working title was for long distance runaround no i didn't know there was one let alone for five percent for nothing um i can't imagine what was it corporal prelude to the fish (laughs) (laughs) it was corporal salt corporal salt yeah like do you know what that's a reference to i don't it's sort of a reference to Sergeant Pepper. Oh my goodness. <laughs> How hilarious. They weren't actually considering it. That was just a working title. Right. Like, I don't, I can't imagine that they were going to have that be the final title for it, but it's, yeah, it's, it's weird. <laughs> That's funny. That's yeah. hilarious. Um, and fragile, like the title, I think we forgot to mention this. Like, yeah, where I don't know where that came from. Yeah, I saw in a couple places that apparently Brian Lane saw some equipment and the word fragile was on it. And that's, you know, Brian Lane, their manager. And that's how they came up with it. Um, 
I, I've seen something else that suggested that um, Bill Bruford may have possibly come up with the title. They had gone through so many lineup changes by then already. Right. Well, um, two. Yeah, so Wikipedia cites his autobiography, I believe. It says Bruford claimed he, in fact, suggested the title because he thought the band was breakable at the time. Um, oh. I, I need to get this autobiography because I want to know, like, the context of all this stuff. Yeah. Um, but... Yeah, and you know, the title Fragile, it's had a long staying power, you know, not not just like, you know, that weird, you know, ARW weirdly naming their song Fragile, you know, it's a good song, but like, that's kind of weird. But also like, you, you know, when, when I hear the word Fragile, I don't think of boxes or whatever, I think of this album, and I'm sure lots of Yes fans or like that too. There's even a like a tribute band called Fragile that's been around for a really long time. Uh, I was just looking at their band camp right before this, and apparently they've made a couple of original albums, and like uh, the artwork looks very Roger Dean inspired with the uh, floating rocks and huh. the trees and stuff. And the sam- yeah, and the couple of snippets I heard sound really good. Um, I think recently one of their members, Max Hunt, released an album uh, on Bandcamp titled Hope. And Fragile's albums are Beyond and Golden Fragments. And yeah, I want to give these a full listen one of these days. I I have a question. Do we want to do the comparison or the parallels with 90125 and Fragile? Or do we want to save that for our 90125 episode that we're going to do? um i mean or, or both you want to just touch on so let's just go for it then go ahead right because like the next big anniversary for, fra- for fragile 90125 would be the 40th which is like two years from now but yeah i kind of want to go through these okay comparisons That's fine. first um and it won't take too long but basically you know 90125 a big hit in the 80s just like fragile was in the 70s it went triple what tracks are on it that i might recognize on the one two five sorry <laughs> right so it went triple platinum in the u.s um and you know something i noticed about the track list is that both of these albums have nine tracks and you know they both and filler <laughs> And they both begin with a hit single, obviously, because uh, that's how albums are made. Uh, the fifth Hopefully. track, <laughs> <laughs> the fifth track on 90125 is Cinema, whereas the fifth one on Fragile is Five Percent for Nothing. And while that's not the only instrumental on Fragile, I think out of the instrumental solo pieces on that, it feels to me like I don't know. There's something about Five Percent per for nothing and cinema that sounds kind of like a similar vibe like it's a big bang that's kind of like short sandwich in the middle yeah 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 um and six tracks uh both begin with an l you got long distance run around and leave it and they both end with a song that has the word heart in it so you got heart of the sunrise and hearts 
Interesting. These are comparisons. So I don't, I didn't get these notes, folks. Steve's, this is his own thing. So, and some of this, like, I didn't even think of or know that, and you're bringing up stuff that I didn't even, so I have different ones. Can I, can I throw in a couple? Uh, yeah, go ahead. So like fragile, it is um, the first one that had a pivotal album cover by a different artist, if you will. It also was a new lineup change. Of course, we could say that about every, literally every <laughs> other Yes album. But, um, and it also um, was iconic for its time. Um, we talked about in that news death series that we just put out that Fragile, I'm sorry, 90125 really embodied the sound of you know, what was going on in the 80s. Um, and also, there's a comparison in my mind between Leave It and We Are Heaven because they're both so vocal heavy. Oh, you know, yeah. it's really, those are vocal songs more than anything. There's a bit of musical accompaniment, but I, I like that parallel as well. Yeah. Parallel they both have Chris hearts. Squire. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and... Funny enough, so November 7th was an anniversary for 90125, but apparently it was also the 36th anniversary for 9012 Live, The Solos. Um, oh. Yeah, th this was um, this was that weird LP that came out in 85. Where I have that. I have the vinyl. I love that. Yeah, yeah. I, I remember when... Uh, so I'll get back to this, but okay. just real quick. So one time when I visited you for the holidays in 2008, um, you know, we watched the 9012 Live DVD, like I mentioned, and you pulled out your vinyl records and your record player and uh, you were like letting me listen to like what you had. And so the first thing I put on was 9012 Live, the solos, because... I hadn't heard that live album specifically before and um, it wasn't on CD at, at that time. And so when, when I put that on, you're like, it, you choose this out of like all the other stuff. Cause like, you know, we'd watch, we were watching the 9012 live DVD and it's like, this is. And then the you put that stuff. on. Yeah. You know, it's um, funny. I don't remember what's on it other than Whitefish. Right. So I'll read the track list real quick. Oh, I know Solly's beard. Yeah, so it has Hold On, uh, Tony K solo titled C, which is Spanish for Yes, Solly's Beard, that Trevor Rabin solo like you mentioned, Soon, Changes, Amazing Grace, and that's on bass um, from Chris, and Whitefish. Um, and apparently there was a 2009 reissue that added City of Love and it can happen. But anyway, like this is another instance of like, highlighting the solos but like in a different era you know yeah. it's kind of this weird thing and it's like they tried this solo thing again but live yeah interesting um and uh 90125 i think did the same thing for yes that i mentioned fragile did that i i'm not sure without fragile if there would have been 50 years of yes and even Rick Wakeman says without 90125, there wouldn't have been 
decades more of of yes, even though the lineup, of course, changed. Um, I like how objective he is most of the time and how he's pretty magnanimous about giving credit outside of anything he had anything to do with. You know what I mean? In regard to yes, he's usually pretty good about that. And and most yeah. outspoken about it than anybody else, I think, that's not in the band at the time, which is cool. Right. Like he'll he'll definitely be honest if he has criticisms, as we've yeah. seen. But well he ha- like you said, he has said that 9012, I think he even said verbatim that 90125 is the most important yes right. album. Yeah. Um and it's kind of a funny thing to think about because like I, I really think if you look at Fragile and 90125, it's like you basically have those different generations of Yes fans. Like these are both probably the biggest Yes lightning rods that got people into the band at different points. And and both uh, got the most radio play. Yeah. You know, um, piv- I mean, pivotal for them at the each time, each period of time. Yeah. I mean, there's a reason that in that movie, School of Rock, uh, Jack Black gives a kid a fragile CD for homework. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> cool. Folks, we would love your input on all of this stuff. Do you have anything else before we go, Steve? Um, oh, you were going to get back to something. Did um, I don't, I feel like I've said pretty much everything okay. I was going to say. Um, okay. I don't know. I guess there's like a bit of trivia for South Side of the Sky. Like back in okay, go back for in it. the 2002 tour, John at the Camdam, uh, New Jersey concert. I think it was. He said, "This is a song about three guys who went to the Himalayas, and one of them died and went to heaven in the South Side of the Sky." So, I guess that kind of adds a little bit of context for the song. I don't know if it's what John originally had in mind, but. It's at least how we saw it in 2002. And yeah, that's um, the version you sent me that I played to. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. On the um, Jump Talk TV celebration version of the album. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I think I've pretty much said, I mean, we could keep on talking about this for a long time. For, yeah. We won't, yeah. though, folks. Yeah. Don't worry. <laughs> but yeah. send us and, your and thoughts. I mean, yeah, and, and I mean, like, you know, there's lots, you know, Eddie offered, of course, a, a major factor of that era of Yes. Yeah. And, like, there's a lot people can talk about with this album. But, yeah, I, I feel like by this point, like, listeners, like, especially if they're Yes fans, like, they, they get the point. Like, Fragile is really good and iconic. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, give us your thoughts. We'll read them on the next episode. And you can follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash yes shift. And you could find us on a few different podcast platforms just by going to anchor.fm slash yes shift. And they distribute to like seven other platforms as well. And they can email us too, right, Steve? And tell us um, their favorite filler songs. <laughs> yeah, you can email us your favorite quote unquote filler songs. Uh, yes shift podcast at gmail.com and we might read them on the show possibly um so yeah it's, i think we've done it like 50 years of fragile and still sounds very good to my ears yeah it's still relevant absolutely very cool thanks everybody for following what we do 
We will see you again soon, so to speak. Thanks.